Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, offering Jesus-shaped perspectives and anchors for the soul. I'm your host, Jeremy Berg, and you can learn more about me and our ministry at kingdomharbor.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody, we are back for the finale, the season finale of The Chosen. And thanks for coming along on this journey. Those who've been uh, reading along on the blog or listening to these each week, I hope you've been watching them at home. We gathered this uh, last night, uh, on Sunday night anyways, for the final episode. And as a good season finale does, it it, uh, has a number of different plot lines that get kind of tied together and leaves you uh, inspired and hungry to come watch some more. So I want to talk about, just uh, highlight a couple of the uh, the threads in this episode and then um, share one particular thing that, uh, um, that I thought of as I watched it. Well, we, of course, have the plot line of Nicodemus coming to this really sad, conflicted place. And my son, Peter, when we watched it the first time together, um, he he was crying. He was so moved and so torn up that Nicodemus didn't go with Jesus and uh, become one of his itinerant followers. And um, he certainly is a conflicted person counting the cost. He's got the pressure of his wife whispering in one ear, uh, which is pulling him towards, you know, um, comfort, uh, stability in this world, uh, all those fleshly uh, temptations to uh, play it safe and, and kind of uh, pursue comfort and luxury over uh, a life of uncertainty, risk, and faith. He's an old man. We can we can resonate and sympathize with his situation. Now he's not rejecting Jesus. He. Um, he leaves some gold behind to help help them all out as they go on their way. And Jesus says those words, you came so close. Well, this is not the last we're going to hear of Nicodemus, um, but it is a sobering moment. And it should call us to reflect on our own life. Um, what are the things that would pull us, hold us back from, from really pursuing Christ? Um. He's contrasted with Matthew, who who's, was willing to give up his wealth, his luxury, his uh, good fortune with uh, with the Romans. But then, I mean, Matthew is gaining more than he's giving up because even with all his wealth and position and uh, favor with the Romans, he's miserable. He's a lonely and he's a, a afflicted person. And so he stands to gain so much as he follows Jesus. Well, the other plot line in this episode is the uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, man, one of the most beloved stories of Jesus' ministry. So potent with uh, meaning. The way John tells this story in his gospel in chapter 4, is it is just loaded with sermon material. And so, you know, I wonder what part of this telling uh, grabbed you, resonated with you. Um, I think one of the unique 
emphases that the they have in this episode is they they rightly show Jesus going out of their way to go through Samaria, which no one, no Jew would do. They would go out of their way to go around Samaria because of the the hostility, the hatred towards the Samaritans and their uh, religious feud that is uh, centuries old. And so that, uh, but what really gets emphasized is that Jesus tells her, I, I went out of my way to meet with you here today so that you would be the first to hear my public declaration that I am the Messiah. And she is blown away and moved. It's a very moving scene. Uh, go watch it if you haven't. Um, and uh, I think everybody's holding back tears when she emphasizes how much, how she's been rejected by everyone. And Jesus says, but you have not been rejected by the Messiah. <laughs> so awesome. So, of course, Jesus goes out of his way to meet all of us where we need to be meted in that most thirsty place in our soul, in the symbolism of, of that lowering that, that bucket down into that well and pulling it up day after day after day of coming there in the heat of the day to get more water to get through one more day. It's a, it's a picture of our soul. And Jesus promised that there, there's a new way of life, a life that could mean throwing those old buckets away, leaving them behind, that there could be a, a fountain flowing up, welling up within each of us eternal life, refreshing waters in our own souls. Don't you want that? Don't we all want that? Aren't you tired of, of, of dragging our tired souls to wherever it is we go to try to get filled up for a little bit longer? Um, and it's Monday. I'm in a one of those gloomy Monday morning moods, um, discouraged, and you know, finding myself reaching for uh, that the comfort food of of, of a drive-through window, or um, staring off out the window, unmotivated, in need of tapping into that inner source of eternal life. And then Jesus, of course, says, I have food that you know nothing about. <laughs> oh, that's that's the, the invitation, friends, is to, uh, can you imagine a life where there is a nourishment that the world cannot understand? There's a, there's a kind of nourishment that is beyond physical food. Well, I could go on and on about that exchange, but it's precious. As she is sent forth laughing and skipping, ready to tell the whole village about this Jesus. Who knew her, knew every dark corner of her soul, every skeleton in her closet, exposed before him. But met with warm embrace, not cold rejection. And that is 
Jesus' invitation to all. That is how he approaches all of us. Whatever you did this week, whatever you are hiding from others, wherever you are most afraid of rejection, that is a, a place that is already known to God. But we come to know in Jesus it's a place that he enters lovingly and forgivingly. He is safe. He is good. Open yourselves up to him today. Well, the uh, the final thing I'll mention today is uh, where I didn't expect my uh, reflection would go. It's kind of an odd little thought that came to me as we were watching the episode. As we saw the uh, the healing of, G- of, uh, of Simon's mother-in-law staying in their house, um, as we watched that scene unfold, and, and she uh, is healed and suddenly on her feet, ready to serve everybody. It's humorous. It's fun. And then I realized and bent over to, to whisper to my son, Peter. I said, Peter, I've been to that house. They've, they've dug up that house in Capernaum in, in, uh, in 2020, a year or so ago. Um, I stood looking at the remains of that house where that happened. So let me tell you a little bit about my uh, this uh, neat archaeological place in Israel. You know, you can say in general that Jesus walked here on these streets of, of Galilee or Jerusalem, but in general, it's not the same street. It's not the same sand. It's not the same rocks. It's not, you know. But in a very special sense, it's when you go visit Capernaum on your tour, the town of Jesus and Peter, you get the closest you're going to get to saying you are standing where Jesus stood. First, there's the synagogue. The remains of a synagogue are on display. You get to walk around and see the stones. Uh, But of course, this is not the actual same synagogue that stood in uh, Jesus day. Uh, it's maybe a fifth century. Don't quote me on that. It's, it's, it's a few hundred years later, the stones that you're standing on and seeing the remains of. Um, but inside that synagogue, there are some f- floor, big stone slabs that are believed to be the original floor of that first century synagogue where Jesus would have gone to learn and to teach. And that's awesome. It's, and I remember standing there and, and just looking down and putting my hand on it. It's one of those few places the tour guide says, linger here a bit and know that with great, great um, accuracy, plausibility, this is a slab that Jesus' foot grazed and walked across. But now just a stone's throw from that synagogue is the so-called house of Peter. Now, how do they know that? So they've they've dug up the remains of this uh, building structure. Um, it's underneath where a Byzantium, Byzantine-era church was built, uh, uh, octagon-shaped church was built there a few hundred years later. And under that was an even older 
church, and underneath that is what seems to be a uh, first century uh, house dwelling with a dining area and some rooms. Now, in one of those rooms, I think it's the dining area, there's graffiti. And the graffiti goes back way back. And um, and it, it really speaks to... Um, uh, it's graffiti, and I forget the the exact thing here, but it, it's it mentions Peter, it mentions Jesus, and um, worship. And so, as it happens, holy places where um, sacred things took place, it would have been kept in local memory. People would have preserved that. They would know the people of Jesus' name. Uh, a day would have known that this was a house. That, uh, that that Peter lived in, the fisherman, the apostle. And uh, the next generation would have remembered and passed that knowledge on to the next generation after that. And then each generation would have known that, oh, over there, that's, that, that's where he lived. That's where uh, Jesus did that miracle. That's where they lowered the paralytic through the roof. Or that's where Jesus, or uh, Peter's mother-in-law, was healed. They would, and, and so that's how you can know with with a pretty good plausibility. They didn't just randomly pick some site hundreds of years later and say, oh, I bet that's where it happened. No, from early on, they would have kept preserved and told the story generation to generation. So what? What's the point? Well, the point is this. You can go and stand around this archaeological dig, and they've built this awkward-looking... Um, um, building over the top of it on like concrete stilts. It looks kind of like a spaceship over the, uh, the, the uh, dig. And, but as you look in there and stand there and join um, the millions of pilgrims who have stood there throughout the centuries, you realize you're just looking at an ordinary home that was graced by the power of Jesus. And we stand and we stand in awe at that ordinary home, not because of anything that's special about that, that dwelling, the, those, that, the bricks and mortar. No, because Jesus was there and lives were changed in that place at this time in history. And what that means for you and me is that someday, I hope, people will talk about our homes, our, our families, and not say something special about the, uh, oh, that's the house where uh, so-and-so lived, or, uh, oh, look at the beautiful deck on the back of that house, or, or uh, look at the long driveway and big yard on that house. So, no, may we become places where people look at our homes and our families and our lives and they say, Jesus was there. Jesus was present under that roof. Jesus was sat in that living room. Jesus was welcome in that kitchen. Jesus changed a little boy's life. 
This is where a little girl said her prayers and Jesus spoke to her. In this ordinary dwelling, maybe on Apple Garden Road in Minnetrista, Minnesota, may it be said that Jesus stood among us by the Spirit and did miracles in our lives. That's what's amazing, is that uh, that house, those rocks, those stones that you can go look at today, dug up, are nothing special in and of themselves, except that the living God chose to bless that place with his presence once upon a time. And now he's chosen you. Yes, you listener, he's chosen you to be the temple of his spirit, to dwell in you powerfully by the spirit to turn your inner dryness into a a, a fountain of living water that you could learn in the coming days how to walk in such a way that you have a non-anxious presence about you in the midst of a very anxious world. That you have a peace and patience and kindness about your spirit in, in a time where people are filled with rage and, and, and anger and agitation. May his healing presence dwell among us, church. Well, season one is in the books, and I know you're excited to watch season two. It ends on that happy high note of of expectation. Uh, Jesus has gone public, at least to this one woman, that he, with the big M word, Messiah, that's one thing to be a, a great teacher and worker of wonders in uh, in Galilee of the first century. But to take on your own lips and accept the title of Messiah is to start a snowball effect. Um, it is to turn the wheels of history in such a way that you cannot turn them backwards again. Things have been set into motion now, and Jesus will be um, in the eyesight of, of critics and... Um, and um, advocates. His crowds will grow large now, both of those longing to see a miracle next to those who wish him dead, and all those in between who are just curious to know what it all means for them. So, well, stay tuned. We uh, will keep you updated on if and when we decide to embark on season two together in an official way. But season two is available to watch now on your own. And I will just end by saying this. I pray that you have seen in these episodes uh, Jesus with new eyes, that you have felt his loving embrace, his grace, that you have hopefully felt a tug on your own soul to give more of yourself to Jesus. Um, He changes everything, but it is not without a cost. So may, may you choose to follow him, whatever that means for you in these days.
Let me pray for us as we end this series. Gracious God, we marvel that you chose to take on human flesh, to step into this world of pain and sorrow. We want to experience you today in ways just as real as these first disciples did in the first century. So may your spirit dwell mightily among us. May we know you are with us, even till the end of the age. Pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, grace and peace, friends. Get in touch if you've been blessed by this. I would love to know who's listening out there. And we'll see you soon.